0: So there are notes. There are notes. Just in case this turns out to be a historic meeting and you want to like hold on to it for the next 20 years, So yeah, I was there during that meeting and I got the notes. Um, we just, uh, this past week, we went to see Jesus Revolution. Have you heard of that movie? Uh, about the... Um, Revival with the hippies in California in the 70s. Um, it's a very interesting movie. And uh, I bet they wish they had kept the notes on the first the first meeting when the, the hippies showed up at church. Uh, so this is about Elisha, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, one of the great prophets of Israel. And um, we're telling... This story. We're going through the Book of Kings, First uh, Kings. We're in Second Kings now. Kings is in the Old Testament, split up into two books, and a lot of uh, a lot of it is about Elijah the prophet, and then his protege, the new guy, Elisha. And uh, I have entitled this "Big Faith, Healthy Fear, and Wild Wild Stories," and I realized, oh. I was getting that from bright lights, thick smoke, and loud, loud music. It's an old country song. <laughs> uh, but this has nothing to do with country music, in case you're afraid. Uh, the background is that we, we, we've been talking about is God's people, uh, the nation of Israel was split into two countries. Uh, and the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the place where God said you're supposed to go and worship is in Jerusalem, in Judah, in the southern kingdom. But um, the kings in Israel, they didn't want people going down to Judah, so they decided to like, give them an alternative place to worship. And just to make it extra special, they put golden calves in these worship places. You would have thought, that they had known enough to know the golden calf was not really something that God really liked. Uh, but no, they made up, you know, a calf and they put it in one city and they made up another golden calf and put it in uh, in Bethel, the, uh, the city of Bethel, which we'll be talking about, the town of Bethel. So they had their golden calves and they, they were worshiping God in a way that God did not approve of in a place that God did not tell them to worship God. But that was their way of keeping the people from all going down to Judah and then, you know, the country reunifying. So um, Bethel was one of the towns where he put the golden calf. They put the golden calf. And God sent prophets like Elijah and Elisha to condemn this, to say, no, this is not right. You need to do what God says. So today's story starts after Elijah the prophet has just been carried off by fiery chariots into heaven. And Elisha, whose name is really similar, but he's uh, not related to Elijah, he's just the new prophet, the the guy who was his uh, protege or his apprentice prophet, uh, Elijah's apprentice prophet, Uh, he inherits... Elijah's mantle, which is his cloak, he gets his cloak. He gets the the ministry. He's continuing the ministry that Elijah had. Uh, And according to his wish, he gets double the power from God that uh, that he uh, asked for. And you'll see that when we go through these stories, it's like Elijah did some amazing stuff, but Elisha. Does more miracles than Elijah did. Um, so, this is pretty exciting stuff. And, you know, it is not something everyday type of stuff that we see. So, Elijah gets all of this and he takes the mantle, you know, he's wearing it, takes it off, and he whacks the water of the Jordan River with it and says, Where is the God of Elijah? And the waters part, and, and Elisha walks across the river on dry land just like Elijah had done before that. So that's, that's what Elisha does. And now we're going to get into today's reading, the first bunch of scriptures. And uh, they are going to be chunks of scriptures because uh, these are stories. There's more stories in Kings than there is like specific teachings. So you have to take it in chunks. So I'm going to go ahead and read this, and I guess they'll throw that up on the... On the screens now when this is uh, verse 15 now when the sons of the prophets and I love the sons of the prophets sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them they said the spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha and they came to meet him and they bowed on the ground before him they knew he was the guy and he said to them behold now there are with your servants 50 strong men Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and then cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. You know, can you imagine? He's fiery chariots, and then the guy, angel, pushes him out into a valley or onto a mountain. And so they wanted to check that out. But Elijah said, you shall not send. Which meant, meant don't go. But they urged him. They said, Elisha. They urged him until he was ashamed. And he said, okay, send. He said, send. They therefore sent 50 men, and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, don't go? and what i like about this little piece of scripture which is kind of strange right this is kind of an interesting story it's like the sons of the prophet who are like these like this school of of people that follow the they're, they're right with god but they're like the junior prophets you know the wannabe prophets the people studying to be prophets and uh they're they're good guys but they're listening to what elisha's saying they know that that Elijah's gone, and Elisha's the guy, and and they say, can't, can't we go look for Elijah? And he's no, no, don't look for him, because Elisha knew he was gone. He knew God had taken him, and he was not thrown out on some valley or some mountain. And they just kept at it and said, oh, come on, Elisha, what's up? I mean, please, don't you care about Elisha? He could be, like, starving in some valley right now because it's, it's like they kept after him and elijah wore down elisha and he said okay go ahead i love that because that says to me elisha was like me you know i mean you've been worn down before by somebody that wanted to do something and you didn't think they should do it and we're not talking about sin they weren't saying elisha let us go and worship in false ways they just had They wanted to zig, and he wanted to zag. Or he knew that that was the right thing. And he just said, oh, okay. He was ashamed. It's like, oh, I can't justify telling him no. I love that because Elisha was like us. He was like us. So he wasn't some special breed of human like a Marvel superhuman type of guy. He was a regular guy, and he could make decisions based on the fact that somebody wears him out anyway that's all i got about that story that's story number one we only have three stories so you're you should be a third through the whole sermon right now Uh, elijah was a person like us he knew elijah was gone but with enough urging the sops that's what i'm calling the sons of the prophets the sops were able to wear him down he knew it was wasted effort but at least they got their steps in Uh, So the next story, they're in Jericho. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. This is another interesting story. I mean, so what do we get out of this teaching? Does that mean that uh, uh, if we've got some stagnant water somewhere that we want to drink, we just go and get a bowl and throw some salt in it and then throw some salt in the water? Uh, no, <laughs> that was probably not the right idea. Ask a Boy Scout. They would say that's not going to work. <clears throat> We're not talking about science here. This is not science. Uh, and this is also not magic. There was nothing magical about the bowl or the salt. It, it was just a bowl, a new bowl, and salt. Uh, it wasn't alternative medicine, you know, good or bad. It was just. What God told Elisha to do, we are assuming based on the story. But when Elisha took this salt and threw it in the water, the words he said I think are super important. Thus says the Lord. He's speaking as a prophet from God. God's telling him this. He's saying it out loud. I have healed this water. God healed the water. God healed the water, which is really cool because we serve the same God that healed the water. We don't have to fetch a bowl of salt and do that if God doesn't tell us to. But we can pray for God, and God heals. God can heal. Um, And I love um, the phrase, to this day. So the water has been healed to this day. So this happened a long time ago when they're writing the book of Kings. You know, people wrote the book of Kings, inspired by God, it's in our scripture, but somebody wrote this down. But they're writing it down maybe years, maybe centuries after the fact. And, and they're, what they're saying is, if you go back to Jericho, that water's still good. It was bad. Now it's good. You know, what God did stayed put. And you'll see that phrase throughout Kings where they're saying, you know, this was a bad city and, and the people... Didn't hated God, and they're that way to this day. Or this, this is a good thing. God healed the water, and it's even healed now. So just a, a phrase to look for in the scripture. Okay, uh, that's story number two. We should be two-thirds through the sermon right now. Story number three, this is, this, uh, this is, the, this is great. I'm glad you're all here. I hope you all leave edified and full of the Holy Ghost and and happy. Uh, because this story is, is something else. He went up to Bethel. Uh, and while he was there on the way, and no, remember Bethel, what's it, Bethel? Moo. Moo, the golden calf. That yeah. He went up to Bethel, and as he was going up on the way, some small boys those small boys, came out of the city and they jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) Go up, you bald head. And he turned around and he saw them. It's kind of like when the kids were standing around me and I turned around, but I didn't say anything like this to them. And he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of them. From then, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. Uh, This is the type of passage that you might see, especially if you look on the internet, that people opposing the Bible sometimes bring up. Seriously. They say, look what happened a bunch of little boys tease a man about his baldness and he commands bears to attack them. Or worse, the God that we believe in would send bears to attack a group of poor, innocent children for teasing a guy about his bald head. Um, Now, this is not an easy passage. When I saw that Ben had taking the day off and let me preach. And then I saw I got to do Elisha and the She-Bears. I was excited about that, but you know, it's like there are verses in the Bible that can be troubling. They can be used as tools by people that think the Bible is just a, a book. They can trouble even Christians. You know, Christians can read this and say, huh? How can this, you know? But let me tell you, our God is a good God. God is good. The scripture says, God is love. Our God is a righteous God, and his righteousness and his goodness are not in conflict. He is good and he is righteous. He is a God of justice. So, When we run into something like this, our default should be, and you probably know this, God is good, God is great, you know, from the blessing in the olden days. Uh, God is good, God is great. You should default to that and not just jump to some like, why, why would God, you know, you can say, I think God does not mind at all. When we are confused, he knows it, we can go to him and say, Lord, I don't, I don't understand this. He might even show you. He, you know, he might even show you what's going on here. But as Christians, we need to default to God is great, God is good, and start there and not just, you know, just get all offensive and go nuts. We shouldn't do that. Uh, There's people on the internet that will do that for us. (laughs) Um, But it's not an easy passage because the Hebrew, the original language, literally used the words little and boys. You can look it up. They're two separate words, little and boys. Uh, So it it does mean, it does say little boys. But the phrase, if you look at it, it, comparing it to other ways that the phrase little boys is used, it might be referring to, you know, teenagers for one thing. People on up to, you know, about the time they're able to get married. I think little uh, sometimes refers to uh, women of, of marriageable age, you know. So I think you can at least think t- teens, okay? But also, this phrase, little boys, can refer, this is in that culture, I'm not talking about this culture, but (laughs) there is a correlation, can refer to servants. Servants. It is possible that these little boys were really servants. And who would they be servants of? They might have been, and this is just a maybe, servants of the... uh, Of the worship system going on in Bethel with the golden calf. They might have been some of that group and that kind of makes sense because when they're mocking Elisha they're just not mocking an old guy who's bald. In fact and I didn't know this but I was reading commentaries about this in fact his baldness might have been something where he shaved his head because he was mourning for the loss of Elijah. That's possible. He might not have been a naturally bald guy. He might have been somebody who, you know, shaved his head. Uh, but what they're doing when they're confronting Elijah, they're not ignorant of who he is. They're not ignorant of who he is. And when they're saying, go up, that's another phrase. It's kind of, what does that mean? Because he's going up to Bethel but also they knew that elijah had gone up to heaven and they might have just said go on away go on up to heaven like elijah did you know get out of our face what are you doing coming rattling our our system here you know so there's a lot of things we don't really know and it's interesting to to think about these things and maybe god will use this information if somebody comes and says do you know that god you know sent a couple of she-bears to, to tear up a little, little kids. Also, the, the thing about tearing, uh, yeah, that's the word tear, but I'll tell you the truth. On a regular basis, my cat tears me. You know? Um, so I'm thinking a she-bear. One little she-bear swipe is a lot worse than, than my cat's. But it's, it's not, <laughs> I shouldn't bring this up, I debated whether to because you'll probably go and look. You don't have to look. There's this awful picture on the internet, a line drawing. I sure hope it wasn't AVA children's curriculum. Probably not, but it's, it's, it's on a number of sites. Just a drawing of these she, she, she bears like gobbling up these kids. And it's like, you know, here's the story. Um, it doesn't say that. It doesn't even say you know, the Bible's not embarrassed to use the word kill. It's not even saying that these kids were killed, even if they were kids. So, um, the reason that these uh, bad boys from Bethel, I didn't invent that, I saw that, I like that, bad boys from Bethel. <laughs> that could be your new punk band if you, if you wanted it. Uh, Bad boys from Bethel. The reason uh, that they were mocking him was they were showing disrespect for God's prophet. They were just dissing God's prophet. They were not afraid of the consequences of what they were doing. And uh, they did not have a healthy fear of God. Uh, And yes, it was God that sent the the bears not Elisha I saw another picture online it was maybe from a coloring page I, I expected to see a bunch of coloring pages about this you know how they have for Sunday school I didn't see that many and sometimes the bears kind of looked like teddy bears uh, on the ones but there was one picture and I, I saw it once but couldn't find it again where it shows Elisha and he's like pointing at the people and these bears are attacking it's kind of like he's saying sick them bears you know he didn't do that. He did not do that. Uh, and, and the cursing, he wasn't like cussing them out. He was asking God to give them what they deserved. So that's, that's the deal. Um, so that's the story. Now you've heard it. The bad boys from Bethel and the she-bears and Elisha. Uh, So what can we get out of it? I want to zoom in on this fear thing for a little bit. They did not have a healthy fear of God. There is a healthy fear of God. There is a healthy fear of God. We certainly can't say that our society right now has a healthy fear of God. Doesn't have a healthy fear of God. From what I see, and you know, I live in a little world, but what I see in the media is that our society has a great deal of disrespect for the God of the Bible. Just a great deal of disrespect. There's a lot of like supernatural TV shows where they kind of have a, a God figure that's not like really who God is, but it's just, just kind of a sign of disrespect, I think. Um, many people don't believe that God exists, right? In our society, Um, Christians, this is a little side, Christians behaving badly does not help the situation at all. Christians, any Christian, like, you know, pastor who falls into sin, has an affair, um, people that fall away from the Lord, Christian musicians that, that get whacked out, that's that's not helping, but that doesn't change who God is. That does not change who God is. Um, but if if we can avoid that, that would be very good because you know we want the name of Jesus and the name of the Lord to be honored. Uh, and I uh, do see plenty of examples in our society where there's just this disrespect for God. Uh, and opposition, and, and it looks like it's just sheer opposition to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's like, you're, you're not going to be Lord over my life, you know. Our society kind of has that message, in individuals in our society. But, and that is lack of not having a healthy fear of God. But it's also important for us as Christians to have a healthy fear of God. Not an unhealthy fear of God. There's, you've, you've, you find people and, and, and they're, they're overcome with guilt, but, well, I hate, I hate to name names. I'm going to name a name. Kind of the Jerry Lee Lewis syndrome. Uh, there were musicians, especially back when I was growing up, that grew up in the church, but then they got into rock music and the rock music lifestyle. And, and they kept switching back and forth, like a light switch. You know, I got to get right with God. Oh, I'm going to get into all of this stuff. And, and just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, that is, that's what comes out of having a knowledge of God, but not having a healthy fear of God. That's one of the things uh, that comes from that. Uh, so we don't want a cringing fear, like possibly some of those with guilty consciences That didn't change and they just wanted to keep God as far away from themselves as they could we don't want to be like that that's the saddest to me that's really sad I feel sorry for people like that because they're not enjoying the relationship they could have with God they have the knowledge of God but they're like you know stay away from me you know when God is wanting to restore them and make them who they have been called to be, but they're like, you know, oh no, you're going to take away all my fun, and you know, like that. Uh, we don't want to be like that. So that's a bad, that's, that's a, what I call a cringing fear of God. It's kind of like uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. God comes walking through the garden, wants to have a fellowship with Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from him. We don't want that. That's not the fear I'm talking about. We want a fear that draws us closer to God. Um, I've heard the fear of God compared to uh, a healthy fear of fire. Have you heard that? Fire is not a bad thing, right? I love, when I was a kid growing up, we would have fires in the fireplace. uh, and, And I would be the tender of the flame because I was the closest thing to a pyromaniac that we that we had in our family. And uh, it's just great and it's just warm and you just like it so much. And it gives light, ambiance. Uh, fire is great, but uh, if you don't have that healthy fear of it, the respect for it and treat it negligently you know, you can have disastrous results. And I'll give you an example of that from my own sordid history. Uh, I joined the Boy Scouts. I was a tenderfoot. I think that's how I graduated from Boy Scouts, as a, as a tenderfoot. The Eagle Scout over there is laughing at me. Um, so uh, we went to this play, the camp out at some you know, old military camp thing. And uh, I was with a couple of my buddies. I don't know what I was supposed to be doing, but there, there was this field of, of tall grass, dead grass. I don't think it was wheat or, or, or hay. I don't know, maybe it was hay, but it was, it was tall, it was dead and we had matches. So we were like taking a match and it would go and then we'd stomp it out real quick. Well, <laughs> that's when it would have been good for me to have a healthy fear of fire because it was my match that, you know, I don't know. I must've hit a special, special little section of dry grass because it spread like wildfire, which it was by then. <laughs> and, uh, and the whole troop came out and, uh, was putting it out, like good boy scouts. They were putting out this fire and then the fire engines came. One of my uh, scout masters had pulled off his jacket and was swatting it. And I was thinking, if I would thought of that, it wouldn't have happened. I could have put it out with my jacket, but my shoes didn't work. Uh, anyway, that's, that was not having a, well, it was stupid, yes, but it was also not having <laughs> a healthy fear of fire. And that's kind of... That's, I think that's a good analogy, but I like this analogy better. Uh, I'm going to try it out and see how it works. The fear of oxygen. You know? We need to have a healthy fear of oxygen. Well, not exactly a fear of oxygen, but a fear of not having oxygen. And I think we probably all have that. You know? If we don't have oxygen, we're going to die. And we probably you know, if, if our oxygen was going away, we would be afraid. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for me not to do something to deprive myself of oxygen. So uh, if we make our lives and our choices apart from God and his plan for our lives, there are consequences. There are dire consequences. It is important for us to know, you know, who God is and what he, uh, what his role in our lives should be. And it's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. Okay, so that's that's that. We're we're rolling into the end here. I know this has like been all over the place, but uh, we're almost there. There's just one other thing I wanna talk about, another subject, uh, and that is, What should our approach uh, be to the bad boys of Bethel that show up in our lives? So we have people dissing us for whatever reason. What is our approach? And the cool thing about that is it's not the same as what Elisha did. Not that he was wrong. He was God's prophet. He's in the Old Testament. I'm reading a uh, a passage of scripture that's only like three verses long. I'm not going to judge and say, oh, Elisha was wrong. But I have clear marching orders from Jesus about my life and what I should do. And it says, but I say to you, this is Matthew 5, 44, 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And... Uh, For me, I would rather be a son of my father in heaven than a son of the prophets. Um, We are called to an exceptionally high calling. It says that John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets and that anyone in the kingdom of God is greater than him. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, are greater. We are in the kingdom of God. So our Calling is really high. We are called to love our enemies. We are called to pray for people that mock us and make fun of us. Um, th- we, when we read in the news about some uh, somebody that's coming against us or the church or people we love or something like that, I think that this scripture is a pretty good... Uh, thing to base our response on that we're to pray for those people we don't know what God's going to do so uh, so if if you find yourself you know walking down and taking a turn on Bethel Church Road and a bunch of kids come up and they say you know well I won't say bald head because you know but (laughs) go up go up the road you old guy or something like that we are not supposed to, you know, turn around and say, Lord, just strike them with fire. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this because I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, the disciples of Jesus tried that. They went to a Samaritan city, or they're about to go to a Samaritan city, a spe- specific Samaritan city, and the people wouldn't let them come. The people said, no, nah, you're not welcome here. And so the disciples, I think it was James and John, James and John said, Jesus, we got faith, man. You want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Just like the story we heard about Elijah uh, last week. You know, you want, or week before, whenever, you want, you want fire to come down and, and Jesus rebuked them. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. It's like they did not realize how high their calling was how high? And that's, that's us. We've got a high calling and our high calling is to go beyond the destroying thing and to, um, and to try to minister forgiveness and turn the other cheek. Oh boy, talk about something that is not cultural in our culture. When's the last time you saw in some type of cultural media anything about turning the other cheek? But that's what Jesus told us to do. So... Um, I'd like to pray for us about, about this, if, if you would, especially this, this part. If you'd stand just for a moment. And then we'll have a song and a benediction. And... Father, we are so humbled and amazed that you call us to be your children, to be sons of the Father. Lord God, we we ask that you would enable us to behave like sons of the Father. And Lord God, that you would give us such a, a vision of you, that it is our delight that the fear of God would not be something we don't want in our lives, but that we would delight in the fear of the Lord that we would give you so much place in our life that you would drive out the things that would hurt us and destroy us and destroy others. And Father, I pray especially, Lord God, for our enemies, that you would help us to see our enemies the way you see them. Help us to be your children and bless those who curse us and love those who hate us, in Jesus' name.